time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. It's time for another edition of Re-Engineering Your Finances, the podcast that's going to help you get a little bit smarter and better prepared for your finances and retirement. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, founder and certified financial planner at CP Weldy Group, serving you with an office in Chad's Ford, PA on Route 52 and serving throughout the uh, Delaware and Chester County areas. You can find Charles online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles specializes in creating tax-efficient retirement plans. If you missed our last episode, be sure to go check it out. We did a recap of tax changes from 2020 and did some looking ahead to this year, the rest of 2021 as well. Charles, with that uh, great CPA background as well, brings some good perspective to that conversation. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how women can make sure that they're involved in financial decisions. Some important tips and steps and ideas to try and just help uh, make the decision-making process more equitable, Charles, or at least just that everybody's on the same page. Do you find that to be a common problem when you meet with uh, maybe couples for the first time, that there's just this like inequality in how much one spouse knows about the finances and, and the process compared to the other? Yes, Walter. I, I find that a majority of the time, it seems like uh, you know it's really the responsibility, or you know, one person takes on the responsibility, and the other person's kind of left in the dark. Maybe not purposely, but you know, they figure, hey, you know, the husband or the wife's doing a good job. Let them do it. You know, uh, I'm sure everything's in good order. So, I, I find you know more than not that couples really don't share uh, information, and not because they're trying to keep things secret. I just think that one of them is the dominant, you know, uh, person that records all the activity. And, you know, they just do that throughout their marriage. People may be, uh, some people may be thinking, all right, well, you guys are just operating off of stereotypes. Like it's, it's not still this way in 2021, is it? Well, uh, the reason that this conversation was sparked was a recent survey found that nearly half of all female respondents to the survey said that they defer major financial and investment decisions to their spouses. And most of the explanations, Charles, amounted to maybe just wanting to stick their heads in the sand. They just didn't want to know. Um, or they just want to know that I'm taken care of. I don't want to get mired in the minutia. Uh, but we've heard countless stories of why this is a bad idea to just let one party handle everything. Um, because, you know, one day something bad might happen and it could lead you to now become the main decision maker for the household or for the family. And so on the episode today, we want to go over some tips of how women can maybe if you find yourself on that side of the equation where you're not really involved in the finances, maybe some reasons, some things that might spark you uh, to get back in the game when it comes to being involved in that process of making financial decisions. So, Charles, uh, our first sort of suggestion or idea is to maybe picture the worst, um, you know, the worst. Try to try to you know build up some intestinal fortitude um, and picture the worst happening in your life. What if your spouse was suddenly gone for whatever the reason may be? What would you do? And I think if you walk people through that exercise, it can be very eye opening. Yeah. So I mean, the worst case scenario is like you know, spouse passes away. They have you know, monies in their name only. Uh, maybe the beneficiaries aren't up to date, or maybe there's no beneficiaries listed at all because it's not an IRA account or a life insurance policy, and you can't get your hands on the money until, you know, I guess the estate settled and, you know, the executor's named and, and this and that. What we try to do in our practice, and, you know, not everybody takes advantage of it, but, you know, a lot of people are aware of it. And I think it's a great, you know, process 
is we have what we call the family estate organizer. And what it is, Walter, it's a binder. It's a 15 tab binder. And basically what I love about it is it allows you to take all the information that's out there, whether it's in your head or you know, uh, in drawers, you know, and really like organize it so that if something happens, you know, a surviving spouse could open this binder up and everything's organized in such a way that it's a simple process to settle the estate, you know, determine, you know, what kind of assets that you have, where they're located, if they're titled properly, um, you know, whether you know, the accounts are taxable, tax deferred or tax free. Uh, you know, it has a, a, a tab for life insurance final expense planning, legal documents, uh, even like a miscellaneous section where uh, if someone were to put all this information on the internet, which a lot of people do, and the surviving spouse doesn't know what the password is, it even has a, a miscellaneous section where all the passwords and you know, uh, information to access you know, that online information is available. So uh, I think just a simple process of sitting down and, uh, you know, creating a family estate organizer, which, you know, realistically probably wouldn't take any more than, you know, three to five hours, depending upon where your um, assets are located and where the paperwork is, is a great idea, you know, for just about any couple. Yeah, absolutely. And then another great step, I think, is, you know, uh, I think I see my wife go through this. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus or anything, but I think it's just something I can kind of pull from here, Charles, is, you know, she can get overwhelmed by all the financial stuff. You know, I, I've kind of had my brain in it. I've been wired that way for a really long time. And now having hosted shows like this with you for many years, you know, I'm, I'm well in tuned into just different ideas and philosophies and ways you can invest and save and what it all means. There's a big difference when you're just being exposed to it for the first time versus having been exposed to these kinds of things over the course of your life. And so it can be an, an overwhelming element. And so I think one really helpful tip for anybody who maybe hasn't been in the process and in the conversations financially that in-depth before is to not try and just, you know, jump into the, the, the cold icy lake, right? Like, take it slow. Um, you, you don't have to necessarily go from zero to 100 in terms of your participation. You can take, eat that elephant one bite of a, at a time, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, when I, years ago when I studied accounting, I mean, basically there was like two major statements. One was an income statement. Okay. And basically if people look at their tax return, that's their income statement. What's coming in? All right. Where's it coming from? Uh, so that's really step one is like, hey, look at my tax return and let's see where this income's coming from. And basically, you know, let's document like what it's worth as of a specific date. So the income statement's critical. And then obviously, you know, people would have a budget knowing what they're spending and what the income gap was. So the first piece would be a hey, what's coming in, what's going out, is there an income gap and how do I make that up? That's pretty simple, but that's really the first step. And, you know, when someone passes away, uh, like a married couple, like the surviving spouse loses a social security check, you know, they get to hire the two remaining checks. Uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, there was a pension involved, but sometimes it's not 100%, you know, payable to the surviving spouse. So there's really like, you know, some planning that has to be done from an income gap level, you know, uh, when there's a surviving spouse. So step number one, what's coming in? What's going out? What's my income gap? Step number two is, hey, what's my balance sheet? All right. What are my assets? What are my liabilities? All right. What do I own? What do I owe? And basically what you own would be cash in the bank, certain investments. And again, we talked about on prior podcasts, are these investments pre-tax, post-tax, after-tax? 
Um, is there you know steady income coming in via pension? Do I owe credit card debt? Do I owe money on a mortgage? Uh, what's my house worth? Am I eventually going to downsize? I mean, there's so many issues involved, but you know, just basically, you know, putting it into two boxes. Hey, what's my income? What's my expenses? What's my income gap? That's box number one. Box number two, what are my assets? What are my liabilities? What's my net worth? And those two documents, you know, income statement and balance sheet, they integrate with each other. And then based upon those figures, you can create, you know, a plan for the surviving spouse. Yeah, I think that's so important. So picture the worst, not to scare you, but just to expose you to the idea that, you know, things could dramatically change in an instant and then take it slow. Um, you know, you don't have to go so fast when you try and get a female uh, who's maybe not been involved in the process, you know, all of a sudden involved. Uh, take it one step at a time. And by the way, you know, if the situation happens to be flipped, all of these same kinds of things really still apply. Um, so if it and just ends up having to be the, the, the male spouse has just not been involved in the finances at all, and you're trying to bring him along uh, to you know, become more involved in the process, all these things still apply. We just tend to see it still so much more in the other direction, which is why we're sort of framing the discussion this way. And then eventually, I think you need to get to a point where you settle, right, Charles? Like if things are just always in flux, then some, somebody never gets comfortable. So at some point, we've got to find balance between the, the two parties involved, the spouses, finding a way to, we, we know we don't want it to be 100 and zero in terms of contribution and responsibility and knowledge, but there should be somewhere in between those two numbers that we can eventually settle on. It doesn't have to be 50-50, but maybe 75-25. And that'll help kind of just intertwine that decision-making some more. Yeah. And I think uh, realistically, if they did create a family estate organizer and one's responsible for kind of like putting it together or updating it periodically, at least once a year, both spouses going through it, you know, again, there's only 15 different tabs and basically has a balance sheet and income statement. And, you know, it has um, final expense planning. So if you're gone, one of these passes away, you know, there's kind of a, a roadmap as to like, hey, what do you got to do first? What do you got to do second? You know, that type of thing. So it gives, uh, you know, a family a sense of comfort that um, even if, you know, one spouse suddenly isn't there anymore, that, you know, they're both spending time planning, you know, for the inevitable that uh, one of them perhaps is going to be a widow. That's a great point, Charles. All right. Last but not least, a way to get back involved in the financial decision-making process is to get some help, you know, because sometimes that balance, Charles, isn't easy to find. Couples often struggle to have these conversations on their own, and that's where you and your team come in. Yeah, I think uh, just based on this podcast, Walter, you gave me a good idea. I mean, we're busy for the next like nine, 10 weeks with tax season, but I think I'm going to develop a, um, you know, a little campaign to, you know, send out a, a, an email or a letter to all my existing clients that don't have these family estate organizers and really like let them know the benefit of it that will help them create it and uh, it might give us an opportunity to get to know them better and maybe uh, hopefully help to do some financial planning for those tax clients that are doing it on their own right now. I love it proactive and uh, looking to help people who might need it and otherwise not even know that they need to ask for it you know sometimes these uh, these problems these are sort of those silent problems you know the, the the one spouse not being involved in the decision making process that people don't know that it's a problem to be aware of until it happens um, but if we can bring some more awareness to this topic and uh, get people better financially educated now rather than later it'll only help things going forward so there you go 
hopefully one of those tips helps you uh, reach a better situation when it comes to being involved in the financial decision-making process in your household. If you have any questions for Charles, feel free to reach out, talk things out with him at 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or go online to cpweldygroup.com. And we'll put the contact information for Charles in the description of today's show, as always. Charles, thanks for the help on the program this week. We'll look forward to another good conversation with you on the next episode. Walter, thank you so much. Take care. Have a good one. You as well. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.